Hey, what's going on? Thanks for tuning into the EWB podcast. This is your host, Emil Wang. And before we get started today, I just want to preface the episode by saying the Tsuji organization that we're going to be discussing today is a very special organization that I was involved with uh, in my early adult life. Now, a lot of the questions and discussion points that I bring up are not a reflection of the organization. They're more of a reflection of my own ignorance and my own ego uh, back in the time when I was more involved with it. And what's special about this episode and talking to Austin and reflecting on the experiences that I was involved with is uh, it, it really made me realize that I was involved with something special and I would have gotten more out of it if I had approached it in the right attitude. So all this to say that my questions and and my attitude toward the organization when I discuss it is, again, a a reflection of who I was back then when I was involved uh, and not so much who I am now. And with that, enjoy the episode. It's pretty cool to see this group of, if you look at the senior volunteers, um, not many of them, it's very rare that you'll see a senior volunteer where English is their first language. And yet they do all this stuff for the community. I mean, yes, they're helping, they're, they're, they are helping, um, uh, you know, Chinese speaking communities as well, but they're also helping, you know, Spanish speaking communities, uh, you know, uh, English only. And I looked at it and I realized, oh, wow, like it's, it's kind of cool that they are just, creating this positive image just by being who they are and, and doing what they do. So tonight, I'm super excited to have a new guest on the pod. He's a fellow Bay Area native, a friend of mine that I met in New York, a compassion relief extraordinaire and host of the Tsuji on Air radio show. Mr. Austin Chu, how are you? Hey, how you doing, man? It's been a while. It's, it's super cool to have you on to talk about, you know, the, the Tsuji Foundation, which is really what brought us together uh, almost 10 years ago in, in New York City. Does that sound about right? Does, does my memory serve me properly? Wow. Has it been that long? Um, maybe, you know, I moved to New York eight years ago, and I think we met shortly after that. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, not, my memory is just uh, as bad then. <laughs> <laughs> Again, so good to have you here, and I, this is something that I've wanted to talk about for a while. Just as you know, as we've all gotten older, and um, I've you know kind of reflected a little bit more on how I've spent my young adult years. But before we get into that, I mean, how are you doing in New York City? I, I had another guest on this uh, on this podcast a couple months ago that talked about you know the the beginning of the rise of the pandemic and how um, how swiftly people in New York City committed to the the mitigation measures and the social distancing and all that. Uh, what's it like over there now? Yeah, you know, it's it's August now. It's prob- it's been about four or five months since the worst of the pandemic. I think oddly enough, I would consider New York, New Jersey among one of the safest, lowest risk areas in the country. Uh, and now the you know, I think it's worse in uh, other parts of the country. But the thing is, we went in March and April, we went through, I think, very difficult times. So we know the pain of 
of the, the, the worst of the outbreak. Uh, and so now we started to reopen up. People are, are doing things, you know, dining outside. But um, I think everyone's still pretty, pretty cautious. Yeah, my uh, the, my previous guest, uh, a guy named Jesse, was talking about how New Yorkers inherently are are committed to solving issues like this, right? So I, I think everyone in New York was a lot more on board with the you know wearing the masks, um, the socially distancing, uh, all of the guidelines that were set out a, a hell of a lot better than you know I would say even what people are doing in Washington. Um, it's it's pretty inspiring to see that a, a city that is probably the densest city in the New York in in the United States was able to overcome something like this, and and again, you know, fairly quickly, right? You you were saying that the the peak of it all was back in you know April or whatever, but we've definitely seen the numbers kind of trending down a bit since then. That's right. Yep, it's looking in the right direction. And uh, you know, Emil, the other thing I would say is that uh, I, I'd venture that New Yorkers tend to listen to our scientists a little bit more than in uh, <laughs> other parts of the country. <laughs> oh, man. So so you guys have not been injecting Clorox into your bloodstreams then? <laughs> no, we have not. <laughs> okay. Well, good for you guys. You, you, got, you, you pass, Austin. <laughs> How about you personally? I mean, are, are you uh, going out and adjusting to the new norm? Or are you personally still being extra cautious, limiting limiting how much you're going out? Yeah, you know, I, I think as far as it goes, I'm pretty lucky. You know, I've been able to work from home this whole time and uh, I will be working from home through the rest of the year. Yeah, you know, and it, it's, not, it's not as nice as, as it sounds when you're sort of in the same place uh, doing the same thing every day. It's almost, you know, I think it's almost like being in prison. But luckily, you know, <laughs> I, can still, I can still go out on the, on the weekends. You know, I just went for a hike um, yesterday. Oh, um, good. Yeah. You know, socially distance appropriate activities like that, you know? Yeah. And where are you living? You're in Queens still, right? No, I'm in Brooklyn now. Uh, near Park. Oh, you're Park. in Brooklyn. Yeah. Then, uh, the, I must say quite a bit of a hike to, to get to flushing every time you have some, some Suji foundation, uh, <laughs> events, right? <laughs> That's right. And I've, I've actually only been to flushing once, uh, since March. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I stayed with a friend overnight in Queens, and then uh, they were doing this uh, food distribution the next morning, um, Saturday morning, bright and early. But that was nice to to kind of get out there and, and see all the volunteers and be able to be able to really do something, um, you know, not just sit at home. Yeah, and I think that's a good transition point to talk about the Tsuji Foundation because this is the organization that brought you and I together, and I have limited knowledge of it um even though i was a part of the organization for four or five years i still don't do a very good job of explaining it so i'm gonna punt this over to you austin since i think you are uh, a, a bit more of a professional when it comes to this so why don't you tell the listeners about the Tsuji foundation sure thing uh and i actually worked for the Tsuji foundation for a couple of years too so literally it was a professional uh for a few years but happy to take this one um so Tsuji foundation uh, not sushi, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Mandarin Chinese, su means compassion and ji means relief, right? So compassion and relief. Uh, and, you know, I think that's the simplest way you can put it. Uh, it really is about, you know, getting a group of people together uh, who want to put compassion in action. And um, it was founded in 1966. It is uh, a Buddhist organization. You don't have to be Buddhist to help or to join, but... Uh, yeah, uh, they have they do work in four major missions: uh, charity, 
medicine, education, and culture, uh, and then and a lot more uh, within that and adjacent to that. You know, wh- one of the things that always impressed me with uh, Siji is anytime there was some kind of disaster, you know, whether it be in you know uh, China, I I think they've even been to North Korea. Siji mm-hmm. is one of the first one of the first organizations to respond. And despite being affiliated with Taiwan, it's generally accepted as a, as a neutral organization. So uh, I, I think about the, you know, the Wuhan earthquakes back in, um, I, I want to say what the, the early 2000s, it, it was a big deal for China to let in this organization to help out. And it, it, it certainly did leave a lasting impression um, and, and to this day, you know, that, that impact is still there because you see a lot of people from China that are involved with this Taiwanese organization. So uh, I, I've always heard and, uh, you know, experienced some very wonderful things when it comes to these sort of things, like community outreaches or disaster response. Hurricane, uh, Hurricane Sandy back in 2012, that was, uh, that was a big one that, that um, you know, you and I were, uh, you, you obviously a lot more than me, uh, but we were we were involved with. That's right. That's right. And I'd love to uh, share a little bit about. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Tsuji being based in Taiwan, founded in Taiwan, but being sort of let into China to do relief work there. And I think there's a really interesting story there as well. Um, so you know, it, it is the first sort of foreign NGO to receive a certificate to operate in China, uh, which is a big deal on its own. But mm-hmm. the fact that it's, you know, from Taiwan, I think is, is even bigger. And uh, I think the very first time that that mainland China let Siji in to, um, to do relief work was um, around earthquakes in the 90s. And at the time, the, the general sort of public in Taiwan was kind of against uh, Siji doing this, right? You know, just given the I'm, I'm sure you know about the political sensitivities, but, you know, people are kind of like, oh, you know, why, why are we going outside to help? Right. We should we should be helping people in Taiwan. But, uh, you know, the founder of Tsuji, Master Cheng En, she was very adamant that, um, you know, that that we need to Tsuji needed to go and there are people in need and they just needed to um, to go there. And they had the ability to help and we shouldn't let the sort of political situation stop them. Right. And so. Staying neutral, being non-political, uh, and, and focused on that humanitarian mission um, is, a, is a core part of, I think, who Tsuji is. And that's what's allowed Tsuji to really, you know, step foot in um, 100 countries in the world uh, to pro- provide relief, right? And that relief crosses all kinds of boundaries, political, mm-hmm. uh, social, religious. I mean, in, in, in different parts of the world, um, Tsuji as a Buddhist organization uh, in helping communities recover, you know, they built mosques in Indonesia as their right. sort of a, uh, you know, rebuilding village. And uh, in Ecuador, after um, earthquake in 2016, um, they they helped to rebuild a church, and they just completed that this year. Um, so it really is about just kind of helping uh, people, providing what they need, not what Siji wants to give them. Yeah, and, and to kind of echo that that story about um, the church building, I remember. Uh, when Hurricane Haiyan affected the Philippines back in, you know, again, I think the 2012-2013, uh, one of the first things that Master Tseng Yen, who is the, essentially the founder of this organization, had said was one of the first things we should build once, you know, safety is established is to build a church because people need a, a, pl- a place to restore their faith essentially. And I always found that very, very admirable of um, both her and this organization as whole, as a whole. 
some you know some who don't know much about the organization uh, could see this as a cult but um I, I you know whenever people bring that up to me and and I will say some you know some of my Taiwanese friends and family members who don't know much about this organization do call it that and I you know I always point to examples such as you know, like you said, you know, rebuilding churches and mosques as an example of no, you know, the, the intent isn't to brainwash people into into Buddhism. I think it, the real the real intent is to spread love, right? Right. <laughs> so I, I wanted to go into a little bit about uh, my own personal experience about this, because, again, as I've gotten older, you know, it, there were some things that uh, I, I've been reflecting on. Um Partly as a result of, you know, just getting older and, you know, having a family and all that. But also, you know, during these times when Asian Asians, uh, particularly Asian Americans, have been put under a microscope because of this whole uh, COVID situation and because of what our president has been saying and because of, you know, the kind of the education and ignorance out there. It has made me revisit not only, you know, the the kind of the difference we have been making as Americans in our communities, but also the image that we carry ourselves with. So a little bit of a backstory for myself, you know, I, I didn't get involved with the Tsuji Foundation until I had graduated college and moved to Vegas. And for any of you who have listened to some of my previous pods, uh, living in Vegas as a young adult with no friends is incredibly challenging, uh, even more so when you're working the night shift. So one, a friend of mine did suggest that I look into the Tsuji Foundation. Uh, I went there, and at that time, it was a it was a relatively small office uh, with very very few young people. So I was welcomed in. I, um, you know, I, I was encouraged to start a uh, a, a youth organization or a youth group at that w- within the organization, which you would call a Tsuching group. And it was it was a place to make friends. We did some good for the community. We were involved with uh, doing a lot of uh, senior home visits, um, a lot of food distributions and all of that. Uh, I was only really involved for a year before I got moved to New York City, um, where I, you know, I, I was kind of I kind of put my Tsuji involvement on hiatus. But once I rejoined and, you know, met you, Austin, um, it was then that I was really exposed to, you know, all of the things that Suji does, right? It, it was kind of the, the brain trust of the, the East Coast operations is over there. So um, they the offices over there are a lot more involved with different programs. One of the things that I had been super stoked about was to be involved with actually, you know, making a difference at a much larger scale because the New York City offices over there were, you know, had a lot more resources, a lot more people were involved. And um, quite frankly, there's there was just a lot more going on over there that that needed uh, that needed involvement from city volunteers. Greatest city in the whole world. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today I want to be a part of it New York, New York These vagabond shoes I guess one of the challenges of being a young person, you know, coming to the Tsuji organization 
is it's really hard to make an impact. And maybe it's a sense of entitlement. I thought that I would be involved in something that would be making that I would be making a much larger impact. But instead, you know, kind of the first thing that that was always put onto my plate was, oh, hey, you're young, you know, go inspire college kids to to do this. Put together book study groups or, you know, have meetings where you guys, you know, cook food and share feelings. Um, You know, for all the good things that we have just talked about, looking back, man, I, I, I really feel like it was it was kind of a waste of time. That's a really interesting thought. Um, I guess I'm curious what you mean by like what what vision um, or idea for the the impacts that you wanted to have. Um, what was it that you had in mind or that you wished that you could have been involved in? Yeah, and again, this is this is you know me, you know twenty twenty something year old Emil who you know had big dreams and thought I would you know cure cancer. <laughs> I, you know, I, I just thought that it would be a lot more hands-on, you know, help, helping people out with the distributions, a lot more, you know, one-on-one interaction. Really, you know, when, when you when you think about volunteering and you think about how you want to spend your free time, it, it would be more like, you know, you think about Habitat for Humanity or something where you're actually getting your hands dirty or, you know, in building houses and things like that. The The difference that you're making is a lot more tangible, Right. I just felt like when when it came to involving myself in TC, it was a lot more intangible, more spiritual, more, hey, be a big brother to these young kids than actually like, hey, let's, you know, let, let, let's use your your skills and your um, your experience, your I'm going to put this in quotes, wisdom <laughs> in, in in helping solve these issues. And again, you know, this is very, very uh, coming from a sense of entitlement, coming from, you know, coming with some a pretty large ego that to think that, oh, you know, I, I instantly should be put in, a, put in a situation where I can make a big difference. Obviously, now, you know, I'm in my, you know, I'm in my mid 30s. And, you know, I, I understand that the world doesn't really work that way. You have to earn your stripes, right? But to to start off in an organization and be told immediately, you know, your your primary goal is to try to inspire, you know, young people to to be involved and to share their feelings. It's it's kind of it's surprising that I stuck with it. <laughs> That's how I put it. What? And maybe you know it, it's a testament to you guys because you know you guys were all there. You you know you Frank, you know Teresa and Alina. You know I I wish I could name everybody right off the top of my head. Um, but there were a lot of good people that were my age, that were committed to it, that did inspire me. So I would say, like, I'm, I'm grateful for that, that, you know, people like you kind of kept me there uh, in a vacuum. If if I was shown up on my own, I would have been like, <laughs> like <laughs> peace. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's totally fair, right? It's not, I mean, we're all interested in having, uh, be, being part of something that's greater than ourselves, right? And And knowing that, the time that we spend, our actions have have some kind of meaning, right? We're able to ease the burden of, of somebody else, even a little slightly, right? And, you know, not everybody's idea of that is sort of inspiring the next generation, right? Not everybody's interested in mentoring um, college students, right? You know, for, if, if that's what you're interested in, that, you know, I think it's great, right? And it is a great way to, um, to have an impact, right? But um, 
I think, you know, when it comes to TC, I think there is this idea that um, there, there's sort of no task that's too small to do, right? You kind of show up and you, you sort of have to find ways to keep yourself occupied. Um, and yes, and th this may not be for everybody, but I think um, the, the spiritual aspect is kind of a, a part of the volunteer experience. You know, it's, it's not just about, um, you know, and we do do those things that you think of when it comes to a nonprofit organization serving in the community, right? We, we have, we've done soup kitchens, we do food pantries, um, you know, we also do other, uh, you know, what you traditionally think of. But I think the, the spiritual aspect of it is an important part of it and, and building a sense of generosity and a sense of compassion, right? And slowly expanding that sense within you, right? And, and also, yes, maybe learning uh, ways that we can sort of minimize our own ego at, at, in the process of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> point taken um and you're i think you're absolutely right that suji is such a big organization and it's um you know and to take a the golden state warriors playoff mantra um strength in numbers sort of deal right so you don't the, the way i see it now in kind of you know taking a step back from a fifty thousand fifty thousand foot view is you know you don't need everybody you know cooking in the kitchen Right. Um, right. You don't need all the volunteers for doing that. That's that's not necessarily a good use of your resources. What you could you do is just you know just show that you have these numbers. You have this many people committed to doing um, this amazing thing, and maybe that's that's what it takes to inspire people to whether it's to open their wallets or to you know get involved themselves. I, I think just you know, and maybe this is a young person thing or an immaturity sort of thing. Um, at that time, you know, my, my, my profession is in construction, right? And uh, TC doesn't really get involved with that too much from a, from a hands-on perspective. So there wasn't any opportunity for me to use my quote-unquote expertise in, um, in helping out the communities the way I would have liked, um, you know, contrast that to medical professionals who can, you know, roll up their sleeves, jump in and, you know, do, do dental checks, do wellness checks. Right. So I, I think that part of it was a little bit disappointing. And, you know, if I had to objectively look at it and say, you know, time I spent doing actual volunteering work. And again, this is from the perspective of what I think volunteering is, um, versus kind of what I would consider at the time fluff time and doing, you know, artsy spiritual stuff like uh, sign language dance performances. <laughs> I would say it was, it was like 30, 70. I, I would say I spent more than half my time doing things where it was not so much directly related to actually doing what I thought was volunteer work. But again, you take a step back and you think about, okay, well, Emil doing a, a sign language dance performance was part of this show that, you know, raised an S ton of money. Um, and where did that money go? To distributions during Hurricane Sandy, right? In New York City alone, they gave out, what, 11, 11 million, mm -hmm. I want to say? Mm -hmm. I remember it was some, some absurd number. So hard for me to see, you know, it's not a super tangible thing. You can't quantify like... You know, Emil Wang's contribution to that, you know, to that money that was made. Um, it's not like something like building a house where I could say, yep, I put it in that window and, you know, cocked the, cocked the perimeter of it or something like that. And same goes to, you know, my involvement with, you know, 
young professionals or college kids. Like, well, did anything I say or anything I ever did really inspire people? We'll never know, right? But I, I think listeners of the podcast would bet no. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, Emil. You never know. And I, I really mean that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this actually gets into the what I was saying earlier. Uh, so in the nonprofit world, we have this thing called theory of change, right? It's a, it's a term that uh, foundations throw around. And, and it kind of means like, it, it's kind of like, how do you see what the sort of inputs, whether it's dollars, resources, effort, people, how do you see those resources put in? And then when it comes out on the other side of whatever model system you're thinking, how does that lead to actual real change, right? And to me, I've always, you know, Tsuji's uh, major idea, right? Major theory of change is that there isn't enough love in the world. There isn't enough compassion in the world, right? And that if we could, you know, if we can inspire more compassion, in both the givers and the receivers of aid. So in other words, we inspired compassion in both the volunteers and the people who, who are being helped that uh, we, we could get a, a certain amount of way towards solving you know, problems in the world. Uh, and you bring up a really important point about what we can see and feel and touch, right? The tangible things of the food that, uh, that we cook, the house that we build, right? Um, but you know, I think most TC people would say just as important is the heart that goes into that meal and the heart that goes went into that house right and um you know i don't think tc is the only organization that uh that says this right and um i mean habitat for humanity when they turn over that house to the family for the first time right that sense of joy that they can spark when they you know this family now has this wonderful new um sort of home to live in right and and Mm. i think um it's it's really about you know from from our from my heart to yours right It's, it's it's about that connection and no, it's not easy to quantify. I think there are maybe certain ways um, that you could do it. But I, I think one easy way that you could see is like, do you see more smiles, you know, in the, in the people that you're helping, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's one clear signal of feedback. And when you see those smiles, you know, that, that's, uh, that's a good sign. But I, I get that that sort of maybe too fuzzy for, for some people. Um, but, but I think it for is robots a- like me, is, is that what you're calling me? <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> you emotionally void robot, Emil. Far from it. Far from it. I know now why you cry, but it's something I can never do. But it, but I think it's an important aspect of the experience. You know, I think. Um, it's it's important to recognize that that is part of the experience. You know, I think it's it's it is essential. I think to the way that TC does things. Yeah, and I think this is a good transition to um, you know this this whole thing that I want to talk about regarding the image of TC when TCers you know lend this helping hand. How people respond to that, I think, is is something that's uh, as you said, you know, equally important and something that should be recognized. I'm going to take this to a, you know, kind of my own personal experience with Hurricane Sandy because I, I was involved with uh, some of the, um, the outreach programs where, you know, uh, and I'm sure I'm allowed to talk about this, right? That like after Hurricane Sandy blew through New York City and, you know, essentially leveled some neighborhoods, the, the Tsuji Foundation literally went out to those neighborhoods. Um, in some certain cases, people actually walked homes that had been destroyed to kind of assess okay well how much how much i don't want to call it a donation what, what would you call them like the uh cash emergency cash uh i mean in the nonprofit world we call it a cash transfer 
but it's basically emergency cash for people to uh, have, you know, get by during that critical phase. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the Siji Foundation was involved with giving those out. Um, and it, it wasn't just like a willy nilly, like, hey, are you, you know, did you lose something? Oh, here, have some money. Like there, there was documentation required. There were, you know, people had to prove that there was, they were residents of that neighborhood that was effective. So, you know, from a paperwork standpoint, like Siji was on point and they, you know, they were, they were really good about all that. Um, the one thing that always, from an outsider standpoint, um, and I'm speaking from you know the negative Nancy side of me, but also um, from the perspective of some of my friends that I brought to help volunteer, the image of TC during those times was seemed like a, a larger emphasis than the actual helping people out. I, I know that I'm entirely wrong for saying this, but just from the perspective of outsiders, like one of the things that some of my friends noticed was TC made a huge deal out of capturing all the moments where we handed things over to, to the clients in need. And and the one thing that always sticks out in my mind and, you know, my, my friend's minds is let's say that there were five families that were receiving, you know, this, this cash donation at, at a time um, they would, they would line them up five TC volunteers would, you know, approach them, bow at 90 degrees and hand over, you know, like a blanket and, you know, a bag of goods or whatever. And and this whole thing would, would be very, very ceremonial and, and captured on or recorded to be, you know, to be broadcasted later on the on the Tsuji website or on the, the, the Tsuji Dai television channel. And it got to the point where at times it seemed a little inauthentic. I, I hate to use that word because I know TC means means very, very well. But the whole thing comes off as a little bit inauthentic. I, I think some of the clientele receiving it may have been a little bit put off by it uh, because it is kind of weird to to have to, um, you know, like, uh, like I just lost my home and now I have to, you know, line up for photos and, and do this. It, it, it seemed a little bit out of touch, I think is how I would say it. So I'm curious from your end, and I and promise I'm going to come back to this because uh, I, I think now in the world of COVID and in the in you know in the world where Asian Americans are you know kind of put under the, put under the microscope and are subject to a lot of hate crimes, I I think that you know that this whole discussion is important. But I'm curious from your perspective in that time, what was the reasoning behind doing all this? Yeah, this is a really interesting um, question uh, and something I've definitely struggled with uh, myself. Um, you know, among the sort of litany of words that you're using earlier, uh, I think from a, from somebody watching who didn't know anything about the organization, another word you might use could be sort of opportunistic, right? <laughs> mm. um, yeah. But, uh, you know, okay, so the first thing I'll say is that I think um, as somebody who I spent my entire career in the nonprofit world, basically, and it is a reality that do need to uh, sort of capture photos and videos of what you've done in order to, uh, and there are very legitimate reasons to do so, right? Um, you need to be able mm -hmm. to demonstrate to your donors and supporters what is what you've done with their support, right? That you're you're really kind of going out and helping people <laughs> as you've as you've promised to do. So I'll bring this back to what I mentioned earlier uh, related to a core part of TC's mission being to inspire compassion, right? 
And I think um, in order to, to inspire people in other parts of the world, right, we need to be able to capture um, stories of, of good deeds that are being done, right? And, you know, without, I mean, I think with the advent of modern technology, now we can know about um, good, good deeds, good things that are happening in other parts of the world, right? And, you know, without capturing some of that photos and videos, we wouldn't be able to tell those stories, right? Even that being said, acknowledging that's a necessity, I think that there's a way to do that in a way uh, that's authentic and that's genuine and that is not opportunistic, right? And that is respectful to uh, the people that we're helping. You know, I can't say that, I cannot promise that Suji has always hit that mark, whether in the US or other parts of the world. Um, but I can at least say that it's it, it's done out of uh, sort of good intention, right? And you know, the other aspect to this that I think wouldn't be necessarily obvious um, immediately to the outside observer is that there is a specific reason for those ceremonies, right? And um, back to the idea of kind of growing compassion while um, kind of lowering our egos, right? Part of the idea of the ceremony, and this is something that is actually done by TC in relief around the world. Part of the idea is that we wanted to demonstrate that even though as a volunteer, I'm here today, you know, whatever, distributing this good, um, providing some form of aid, I am no better than, uh, you know, the person I'm helping, right? And I could very well be uh, in your shoes tomorrow to sort of borrow a Christian term, right? But for the grace of God, there, you know, that, that could be me, right? Um, and so the idea with the ceremony is, and if you notice in those ceremonies, um, the volunteers uh, will provide whatever is, it is that we're giving in a, in a 90 degree bow, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, the idea is to kind of humble yourself and to say like, you know, thank you, right? And, and thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to show my compassion and to be able to help out, right? And because ultimately I'm, by, help, by, by doing this, I'm, I'm actually the one who is receiving something in return. And that something is this sort of joy or this happiness, right? That I'm able to, to do something, uh, you know? To, I happen to be here, the right place, right time with the right sort of material to be able to give you something that you need in this moment. Right. And so there is that basic idea, I think, behind that ceremony. And so it, it is part of the kind of spirit of of uh, of Tsuji, I would say. But that being said, you know, and again, uh, sometimes you, you mentioned something about how uh, it didn't always hit the mark. Right. Or is a little um, uh, out of touch, out of touch. Um, right. Out of yeah. touch. I think that there are. To me personally, I think there are other ways to express that same spirit that don't require that exact same format or that exact image, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think maybe it's a cultural thing, and um, you know, if, and nothing against the people who run this organization, but it, it is run by an older generation of immigrants. I, I think that's it's fair to say, and. Um, when you're trying to show gratitude to, you know, uh, Americans, it, it, it just might come off a little bit differently that, um, you know, the way that they think, you know, they should be showing gratitude might not be received well over here. And the one thing, the one, I don't want to call it an example, but the, the one, how should I say, the one saying I, I'm, I am going to point to, and this, this might come off as completely off, off the mark, but it kind of comes off as white guilt. And, and when I use the term white, I, I don't mean like the actual skin color white, but, you know, the, the privileged is what I would say. So for 
for us as you know wealthy people to go you know to a a, a more um a, a third world country and to say thank you for letting me do this and let, letting me serve you uh again intentions are good but in this day and age it, it really could be interpreted as privilege especially by Americans where there is this huge discussion about class race. So I, I, I just think that it, it maybe th through the lens of an American and maybe that that's where I'm looking through. Um, it may not be received as well. Siji is a sort of Chinese or Taiwanese diaspora uh, organization. Right. And, um, including in America, but in other parts of the world where, um, where there have been sort of Tsuji, Tsuji seeds that have, that have sprouted, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it has been mostly immigrants from Taiwan who have brought, brought the organization um, to, to whatever country that they have uh, immigrated to. Uh, and, and I think for Tsuji to kind of evolve in everywhere that it has uh, sort of sprung up, it really does need to adapt to the local culture. And, um, you know, I think the, uh, the American context is certainly no exception, uh, but I think it also presents a unique challenge, I would say. <laughs> um, and so, you, I mean, you're absolutely right. You're, you're dealing with these kind of cultural, maybe mismatches, right? In, in you know, I'm sure, you know, in Chinese culture, right? The 90 day, or maybe in Asian cultures in general, kind of a 90 degree bow is a very commonly accepted way of showing reverence. And as soon as you mentioned this sort of culture gap, right, I was thinking of like um, when President Obama, right, uh, went to visit Japan and then as a sign of respect, I, uh, I think for the prime minister, he kind of mirrored the prime minister in, in, uh, in giving a bow as well. And then here at home <laughs> in America, he was, uh, he was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, he's kind of lampoon. He's saying like, oh, you, you know, he's, he's giving in, right? He's like, why, why is he bowing, right? <clears throat> and, <laughs> but you might also point that, point that out and say like, by not bowing, are you implying that we're, we're better than them, right? And <laughs> some people might say yes, right? But, yeah. but I think if you kind of, to bring it back to TC, one of the core ideas um, behind the, the philosophy and behind the way that uh, we do the things that we do is that um, we're all kind of, all, all people, all beings actually have the sort of same potential, right? It's have the same uh, sort of uh, value, right? As a, as a living thing. While it may be interpreted differently, I think the, the whole idea of doing that bow in that moment is to kind of put all of us on the same equal footing regardless of whatever it is, the, the role that we're playing in that, in that moment. Not everyone may buy that, um, but that is the idea behind it. And, and, you know, to your point, talking about adapting to the cultures that they're trying to make a difference in, um, I'll, I'll point to the, the African, um, uh, the African branches of the, the Tsuji Foundation. We, there are offices in, I, I believe, South Africa um, mm -hmm. and maybe a couple more countries. You, you probably know better than me, but 
those offices are comprised by locals and not, you know, by, you know, Taiwanese immigrants that came over and kind of just run the show over there. And maybe that's that's the difference, right? That's how it would be a little bit more convincing in terms of, okay, leveling with the people over there. Because, you know, that, that kind of takes it back to how TC actually started, which was a bunch of relatively poor housewives who set aside a little bit of money to, to start saving for, you know, to do good. But but to take it back to the U.S., it's you know it's still run by you know immigrants and, and people who haven't necessarily adapted to the culture and and it might maybe a little bit out of touch. But maybe maybe it shouldn't be. I mean, maybe it should stick with the principles and and maybe that by adapting too much, you know, there might be certain values that are lost along the way. Um, and you, as somebody who worked there, I'm curious, were there ever discussions about that, that, you know, we we mean well and we've done this for this way for so long, but is it time for us to change our approach? Yeah, you know, Emil, I definitely had this conversation with others, uh, and I'm sure that uh, people are still having this conversation. Um, you know, I think you're right. As an organization that has brought over to the U.S., uh, but mostly Chinese or Taiwanese diaspora. Uh, it's now a little over 30 years old in the U.S. Uh, the people who are uh, currently in senior leadership positions, um, they are mostly first-generation immigrants. And, um, you know, like any, um, any first-generation immigrants, um, I think they've done their best, right? They, they put TC in this really strong uh, position um, and over the last 30 years, they have really cared and nurtured for this organization and, and have really done great things. Um, but at the same time, I think they, uh, the, the people who are in the leadership positions now, um, they recognize uh, their own limitations uh, in the challenge in terms of the, the culture gap, right? As, as people who didn't grow up here, and maybe the, um, even if they've been living here for, for a, you know, quite a while, there's still some things, I think, um, that, uh, that, that there still be a gap. So they, so they recognize the need to adapt and um, they started looking at a younger generation of volunteers. Um, and we actually are seeing more and more people uh, taking leadership roles um, at the regional office level, um, other kind of teams. Um, and so I think we're sort of at this crossroads, right? This passing of the torch moment. Um, and I think it happens in any, um, you know, if you think about a family business, right? Um, you always have to groom the next generation to take take over the reins, right, and, and pass on the torch. Um, and this is something that every cultural or faith-based organization, um, and I think even communities or families of immigrants, um, have to grapple with. Um, it's how do you hold on to the core values and the spirit, right, while adapting, bringing them over, adapting them to a completely different context and different environment. Um, and I think if you want to be able to promote and and inspire others with um, you know a set of values and ideals. You have to find some way to make it relevant to them, right? You have to deliver it in a way that they can understand and they can see. Um, there's got and there's got to be some room for things to morph and to develop. And there's sort of this tr negotiation between uh, maybe uh, on the one hand strict traditionalists um, and then uh, maybe more uh, progressive reformers on the other hand. Um, and if you think about it. I think America itself is, is going through a similar negotiation process right now and, and has been continually going through that process, right? Is how do we take a country that was founded on a set of ideals 
put on paper almost 250 years ago and continue to adapt them and evolve them and apply them in our modern era. Um, and I think uh, on a, in a similar fashion for, for TC, um, so Master Chang'an herself, when she started TC, she, you know, she took something that was taught um, 2,500 years ago and, um, and had already adapted to the modern uh, society at the time in Taiwan. And then now uh, that it's come to the U.S., I think it's um, it's kind of up to the next sort of generation of uh, to to you know carry the torch forward and continue to um, to adapt to the local context. Well, hope, hopefully they they do that soon because um, you know it's it's a weird time. It really is a weird time, and I I, I want to tie this back to you know this discussion of COVID and the focus of. Um, you know, Asian Americans were, you know, uh, up until, you know, the George Floyd thing, you know, the hate crimes on Asian Americans was a, a big discussion in the United States. And I want to bring up what Andrew Yang had said, um, former you know, presidential candidate Andrew Yang wrote this op-ed about how, yes, we recognize that this is, you know, um, hate crimes in the United States are, are a problem. And we, you know, there's no reason that we should put up with that. But what he had suggested was, you know, this is a time for us to be more involved with our communities and go out and, you know, vote, volunteer, uh, help out, things like that. Um, that suggestion <laughs> was not received well uh, by, you know, by many in the Asian community, Asian American community. A lot of the response to that was well, that's not fair. People should just not be racist. <laughs> the truth is nothing is enough for Asian Americans to be fully American at this time. You may think so, but to the average white guy, I don't think so. You can, you can call yourself whatever the fuck you want, but that guy in Arkansas with the rifle and drinking beer, he's never going to think you're American, right? So then it's like... Um, my thought is... Just saying that, you know, hey, we shouldn't be racist isn't going to, you know, isn't going to change anybody. I, I think that's blatantly obvious now with all that's going on with, with the BLM protests, right? I mean, they, we've been preaching that for decades now, and, it, and clearly it still hasn't done anything. So merely just saying like, hey, you know, we need to stop being racist towards Asian Americans, you know, is, isn't going to make a guy that's on the prowl to beat up Asian dudes would be like, oh, shit, like, I, I didn't think about it that way. Let me, you know, let me help him out now. So the fact that Andrew Yang is at least recognizing that the, you, we're not going to change anything by just asking everyone to stop being racist is right, is correct. Um, for him to say, you know, we need to be involved with our communities and all that, I, I think is also correct. Um, the timing of his statement isn't, exactly good because you know it it does seem a little bit unfair to us that we would have to take that extra step to you know show show everyone else that we belong here um when you know by default as americans we should already belong but it's a reality that we have to work with and i i think for him to say that is at least uh, a step towards something that's a lot more productive than just saying hey america stop being racist so to tie this all back to what TC was doing, you know, it makes me wonder now that by capturing all of this and by making this whole, the whole experience of, you know, us helping out the communities and 
and really preaching, you know, our our values. Again, to some, it might come off as, you know, a little bit uh, cultish, a little bit brainwashy. Um, some people are just like, come on, can, can we get this done with? Because I, you know, I have to go back and take care of my family. But I, I think for you know, the Tsuji Foundation to kind of put ourselves in front of these people and say, hey, I, like, we want you guys to recognize us as well, because, you know, we are Americans and we are here to make a difference. We want you to remember that. And I think doing something like that has the potential of leaving a lasting impression on other people in the United States than just saying, hey, don't be racist. And, and, and I say all of this because I, I'm curious if that's ever discussed. If this 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 issue of you know Asian Americans um, being involved in the communities is ever a driver for how TC does things. Yeah, this is a really interesting question. Um, so, thinking about TC in its sort of country that it grew up in, right in Taiwan. So, I would say that there is this idea that so Master Cheng Yan is sort of asking the volunteers of TC to kind of go out and be role models in the community, right? And to, sh to, to, to show a good example, you know, and that's part, partly that's where the kind of uniform comes from. Um, but mm -hmm. if you even look at, I mean, there's a sort of set of 10 rules, call them precepts. Um, there's sort of 10 rules that volunteers are asked to follow when they're in uniform and representing the organization. One of them is to follow traffic rules. And people, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I mean, no, really? yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um, I mean, I, I mean, the other ones are like, you know, uh, don't go to the websites that Emil goes. To. <laughs> uh, not that specific, but <laughs> but you know, don't, don't drink and use drugs, right? Don't uh, yeah, you know, be yeah. be uh, kind and be respectful in your speech to your parents, right? Things like that. But, yeah. but one of, I mean, I kid you not. It's um, funny. So there, there, there are five. Yeah. So I mean, where, and where this comes from, right, is in Buddhism, there are five precepts, which are kind of like in a temple, right? You're, you don't kill, you don't lie, whatever, you don't steal, right? But then Master Chang'an added five of her own to kind of, uh, for the modern, let's say, Taiwanese society, right? And one of them was follow traffic rules. And it might sound silly, but the basic, the idea is that when you're representing this organization, like, she really does want people to think about, um, you know, acting in a way that can model sort of um, be a model citizen, right, for, for other people, mm -hmm. right? And, and again, it is kind of back to that inspiration piece. And so there already is that idea. And I think if you just take that idea and transplant that into the U.S. context, to, to kind of directly answer your question, I don't think anybody in TC has ever sat around and thought, you know, Asian Americans are really getting it bad right now. You know, we're really getting a bad rap with all this, you know. We're not in enough Hollywood movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we'll, with all this talk about Chinese flu, right? And so we really ought to go and, uh, you know, do some good things to kind of dispel. You got to put, put out some good images. That, you know, nobody's ever sat around and thought that, right? But if you think about it, what, 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 what they have done is here's our values, right? Is to, we want to do the right thing. There are when there are people in need, we want to do what we can to help. Right. And we want to go out in general. Uh, we, we do want to kind of uh, be good role models for the community. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what uh, racial or ethnic composition the community is. We, we want to 
big heart. You know, if we need to choose a side, we want to be on the side that is, you know, kind of uplifting the character of humanity, right? Mm-hmm. And, but if you do that in the American context, I think naturally with most of the volunteer base being Asian American, I, I think that in a certain way, uh, we are addressing kind of what you're talking about, right? And, you know, honestly, for me, it, 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 um, it took me a couple of years and, and I looked at it, I looked at the volunteers and the way that we did things. And I was like, you know, it's pretty cool to see this group of, if you look at the senior volunteers, um, not many of them, it's very rare that you'll see a senior volunteer where English is their first language. And yet they do all this stuff for the community. I mean, yes, they're helping, they're, they're, they are helping, um, uh, you know, Chinese speaking communities as well, but they're also helping, you know, Spanish speaking communities, uh, you know, uh, English only. And I looked at it and I realized, oh, wow, like it's, it's kind of cool that they are just creating this positive image just by being who they are and, and doing what they do. You know, and, and I'll say this, I think Master Cheng Yan is actually quite savvy because she does guide uh, for people who are doing TC in other countries. One thing that she has said often is when you're standing on somebody else's ground and, uh, you know, I mean, she says it much more poetically in Chinese, right? Um, I'm going to, I'm totally going to butcher the translation here, but something like, you know, your head is holding up someone else's sky and your feet are standing on someone else's ground. Right. Um, alluding to the fact that most of the volunteers are, are immigrants to the countries where, where they're kind of doing TC. But when you're in that situation, she, she kind of says, you know, you have to recognize that, it, it, especially to the businessmen, right? You have to recognize that, like, um, your success wasn't only you, right? And you have to give back a little bit, right? And you've got yeah. you've to do something to help whoever it is that it's, it is in your local community around you. The reason I say that is she's pretty savvy is that the Indonesia, Indonesia is a great example because Indonesia is primarily Muslim society. Uh, Chinese are a minority there as well, right? And uh, in fact, in the, I think it was the 90s or maybe early 2000s, there was actually some uh, kind of racial tensions, riots against Chinese people. Because they're the wealthy business. They're the 1% basically. They tend, exactly. They tend to be uh, wealthy, you know, business people. Um, But I think people in TC were, during that time, I think they were raised up as a good model, basically, because they're doing so much, um, or they, uh, you know, or in reaction to that, they started doing a lot more, um, basically, to, to kind of give back and to help out in the, in the local community. Yeah. And uh, to your point about, you know, a lot of the leadership in TC being, you know, immigrants or English is not the first language, it's inspiring to see people who are willing to to outstep their own cultural boundaries to help somebody in need. And I, and I always find that that's inspiring in itself. Um, they, uh, you know, I'm always going to remember, you know, the hurricane Sandy stuff, kind of the, the off camera stuff is the, the discussions where, um, you know, uh, some of the aunties were having with the, the clientele where they were genuinely asking questions, is your family okay? Can, can we do anything? I remember being in some of those interviews and I almost felt like I felt like a fish out of water, even though I was speaking to an American, right, where I was asking them questions like, oh, is your family okay, whatever. And I'm always going to remember when somebody actually said, like, no, actually, I lost my dad. And um, and I froze up and I was like, oh, my God, I'm I'm so sorry. I didn't know what to do. But luckily, there was a uh, there was an auntie next to me who, like, gave him a hug and, you know, like 
somebody who was of not like my culture, who was, you know, two degrees separation away from the American culture, um, you know, was able to handle the situation better than I could. Right. So I, I, I think that's the sort of thing that it hopefully leaves the lasting impression on people. And, and to your point, you know, it can kind of help bridge those, uh, some of the, the gaps in, in the communities and, and improve, you know, what our, how we're seen and like with, as Americans and, you know, how we're helping out. To be on the ground that soon and to be here that fast and provide relief in the form of food immediately. And now this effort here within, you know, a week afterwards is phenomenal. Because I have three children and everybody is so generous that I want to teach my children that they should do the same. We have each other and we're alive. That's the most important thing. And to have people like you to help, God bless you. So, so getting back to the whole point about, you know, it, 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 like our impact on the communities, um, do, do you feel like you've seen a positive impact on, on the communities that we've helped, um, particularly in New York City, where we've gone and done the outreaches, you know, post-disaster? Do you see a lot of people giving back and, and coming back, you know, when they're back on their feet and wanting to be involved? It can be hard to see impact, right? You know, and, and to define what that means. But um, I have heard I have heard stories of people who have been helped by TC, and then whether it was six months or a year later, or even you know, a dec over a decade later, that they remember TC and that they want to help and or give back in some way. So I'll, I think I can share. I'll start. I'll, I'll start by sharing one story, which is that the New York chapter of TC. Um, last year purchased two of these uh, Vision Mobile vehicles, right? So they're essentially small campers or RVs, but um, they're outfitted so that they can go around, they can drive around and do eye exams and then on the spot um, sort of cut a lens and give you glasses, right? Um, the idea is that um, eyeglasses are actually one of the the cheapest investments, but with biggest bang for your buck in terms of uh, learning outcomes uh, for kids. And it's like, it's, if you've ever worn glasses, it's, uh, you know, it's a huge difference, right? Of like, if you can't see the board um, and all of a sudden you're struggling in your classes, but you're maybe afraid or ashamed to speak up, but then you, you get a pair of glasses and uh, you know, now you're able to you know, function as a student again, right? Um, but but so they had these two vans and uh, they were, I heard from uh, some staff that they were uh, going around, they're trying to identify uh, students who, who, who needed glasses, right? They went to the mayor's office um, to kind of figure out, uh, talk to them, see if they could partner, see if there are certain specific communities to focus on. And um, lo and behold, uh, the staffer that, one of the staffers that was in the meeting actually had been a, uh, scholarship recipient from CG, like, oh no yeah, way, yeah, yeah, like small world, <laughs> right? Like, um, I think something like over ten or fifteen years ago, and uh, this person, she's like, oh yeah, I remember, you know, TC helped me out with the scholarship, and uh, you know, basically she's like, I'll do whatever I can to help you. Um, I was struck by that story, just you know, because um, I've, I've I've been a part of the scholarship uh, volunteer process. I don't know, <laughs> I don't remember if you were, but 
you know, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. interview the scholars and you may do home visit. You have to read, read their essays. Yeah, read essays. Yeah. 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 But like, you do that, you think, you know, maybe 30 students a year. Do that for 20 years, right? That's like 600 students. And then multiply that by however many uh, different sort of chapters there are around the country. You know, uh, one by one, they add up, right? And and to think that they end up in positions, I don't want to say positions of power, but positions of influence, right? And, and I think maybe that's like in your example, you know, where somebody ended up at the mayor's office, that, that's huge. Yeah. You know, we you, you probably remember this, the, the Bamboo Bank thing. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you talk about the Bamboo Bank to the people that you were kind of interviewing in those Sandy distributions? Yeah, I must have. I mean, if we were told to do it, I would have done it. Um, you know, but I, I probably, I, I probably half asked it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, when you're, you know, when you're back on your feet, you know, think of us, that sort of thing. Right. Um, but not a like, hey, don't make this a priority right now. What was your um, comfort level in, in doing that? Very low. Okay. Again, I, I know that the Bamboo Bank is basically the building blocks of the Tsuji organization, how it all started and all that. But, you know, my my perspective was these people, like, how can these people think about, how can we ask people to think about helping others when they just lost their home, right? And maybe that's the wrong approach from my end. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it is or not, because I actually feel pretty, um, I feel, I think, closer to uh, on to your end of the spectrum. But um, but I have been surprised. Um, so uh, one time we went to a, a homeless shelter in the Lower East Side, uh, close to Chinatown. Uh, yep. And uh, you know, similar to you, like they, they always ask me to get up and say something uh, when when needed, right? Um, <laughs> Go to PR guy. Yeah. Um, so they asked me to. So we were giving out these uh, these backpacks with some winter kits supplies, you know, gloves, hat, and, the, and a blanket, right, uh, at this homeless shelter. And, um, you know, so I talked about that, um, t- told them a little bit about what, what they were going to get. Um, but then they also talked about the Bamboo Bank. And uh, this is in a homeless shelter. And after I told the story about how TC was started uh, with this Bamboo Bank, a few people in the audience immediately stood up and just wanted to give us some of their change. And mm-hmm. I was not expecting that. Like I was yeah. just a way to let them know that like a small things added up, make a difference. And B, this is coming from, this is the love to, to put a cheesy spin on it. Right. This is the love coming from like many people uh, from around the world that now we want to send it to you. Right. And um, in this homeless shelter, like three people stood up and wanted to give us like a dollar bill, some change. I was like, man, like, uh, like I didn't even, I didn't re- even realize how powerful that could be. Give me another one. I'll get another one filled up for you. Because you guys are down here helping us. What else? You know, it's it's a beautiful thing. We've got to give back a little bit. I didn't get the sense that they were doing it out of guilt, right? Because that's 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 not the idea. Is to say, hey, we're helping you today. Like, can you can you hit us back, right? That's not at all the. And if if anybody ever, if, if that's how it came across, then we've done something wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, my point is in sharing these different stories, I think that when people are truly in need, when they're, you know, really down and out, I, I don't think you can ever discount like that, um, just how important it is to just lend somebody a helping hand when they're in that moment. And when you can really give something that to people that they need in that moment, it's, I mean, I, I think the, 
Um, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever been helped in that way, but you know, it really does leave a lasting uh, impression, lasting impact. Um, and you know, I, I recognize that the kind of impact I'm talking about right now is not something that can be measured. We we can talk about that kind of impact, but I think the the kind of um, effect that I'm talking about is something that really cannot be measured, right? And it, it is something I think is quite profound. Yeah, and, and maybe that that's it, it was. Uh, whether it was a lack of my own interest to see, you know, what, what came out on the other end or, or just again, negative Nancy approach to these sort of things where I'm like, Oh, come on, is that really going to make a difference that um, maybe just believe that it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't change anything. Uh, but it, it is inspiring to hear that, you know, in your eyes, you know, I consider you a peer that you, you know, you grew up in the same area I did um, to, to feel that, you know, there, we, what we did did make a difference, even though, you know, someone like me can't necessarily see it. Um, I, and I got to say, you know, to, to wrap this up, we to, to go back to, you know, what what we did and the, the people that we worked with, um, you know, in New York City, I, I think, you know, for us to put together that that fundraiser thing for Hurricane High on, I think was one of my favorite memories. Um and even though it kind of it was kind of a blurred line of whether it could be a, was considered a TC sanctioned event <laughs> because we had some belly dancers, which <laughs> I think raised some eyebrows. Um, it was still cool to have the support of um, of you know the, the the adults and the leadership in that. Um, and, and my understanding, you guys did it again like a couple of years later in, in a much larger scale, which is which is awesome. Like I, I'm really glad I was able to have this conversation because you know, in, again, in this time, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reflection and like, how do I want to spend my time in the future making a difference, right? I, you know, I have a kid now. I have, you know, a, like my life's just a little bit different, and my, you know, how I spend my time is going to be, is going to have to be a lot more measured, <laughs> and uh, and. You know, I I feel like I'm going to have to do something that is meaningful to me and will make a difference. Um, I, I'm actually joining Big Brothers Big Sisters. Uh, it's awesome. Seattle. Yeah, yeah. I, I figured, well, you know, like that's something at least I can make the difference in one person's life. Um, hopefully, we'll we'll start there. But I, I think you know, in, in talking to you about this, I I feel I feel a lot better. Like I honestly feel a lot better about the time I spent in um, in in doing DC and and I feel like the TC you know as kind of as negative and as uh, cautious as I am about you know the things that they do sometimes I I think to from what you're saying there still is that impact there so I, I want to wrap this up with questions for you because I think that you know I, with you I was always impressed that you worked there as a professional. I was even more impressed that after you quit your job there, you doubled down and went ahead and got your, got your commissioner, um, your commissioner now, right? Yeah. Yeah. You got, you doubled down and got your commissioner status. And I feel like you almost, uh, you know, re like committed even more to the whole thing. Um, after you were no longer professional, with you and the impact that you're able to make and that you you serving as this kind of a bridge between the um you know the the existing leadership and you know what to what ultimately going to be a torch passed on to you um how do you see yourself making an impact in the future with within tc 
so so I did so after I um, after I left staff, I did take a little break, um, mm-hmm. and I think that break was really healthy and necessary. Um, Michael Jordan joining baseball. <laughs> I've been I've started watching The Last Dance, and uh, it's it, great. I, it's, I'm seven episodes in. It's, awesome. yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I can't say that I'm uh, I can't quite compare myself to Michael Jordan, but yes. <laughs> Um, (laughs) um, yeah, little, little time off is, I think is always healthy, um, when you've been kind of putting uh, everything into something for, for a couple years. Um, and I think I came after my time off, I think I came back to TC with also definitely a a different perspective, having done some reflection, uh, also some thinking about similar issues that you've, um, that you've raised with me, but I just decided that my role and my sort of contribution um, would, would take a different sort of path forward, right? And to answer your question, I think what I landed on is that um, I was really interested in thinking about how to help TC adapt and be able to appeal to modern English-speaking volunteers, right? And whether that is uh, sort of next generation or just anybody who identifies with the the ideals with the values and, and wants to do something uh, about it to contribute and to you know to be part of this organization right how how can we make them feel like uh, this is they have a part in this organization right this is something that they can be feel at home in right and so um, in the last few years I've really spent my time focused on <laughs> ironically what you mentioned at the beginning um, uh, on sort of working with our college group, um, but also on working on English training and and um, and uh, other kind of. I mean, I would I would describe it as like building community for English speaking volunteers. That's like probably the simplest way to ex- explain it. Yeah, and you know, you you have all the tools for it, right? You're um, you're incredibly intelligent, you're articulate. And, you know, as a professional there, and, you know, you were, you were essentially the face of that office, I think, you know, when it, when it came to these sort of events, right? You were front and center doing a lot of the speaking. And um, I, you know, I, I, I'd hate for all that to go to waste. And I, I think it's awesome that you're, that you're, uh, that you're involving yourself with this. And, you know, if, if you want to share a little bit about the radio show, um, I, I'd love to, you know, hear what direction that's going in. Um, you, Angelina, Teresa, and Annie put together a little bit of a podcast sort of episode that was played on the radio. Um, if, if, am I right? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> um, it's kind of a funny story because um, somebody just happened to donate, I think, some airtime. Uh, to TC mm. and uh, they, you know, they wanted to kind of do a Chinese language segment and an English uh, segment and mm. the English segment, they kind of called up, uh, you know, me and Andy and Teresa and Angelina and they're like, Hey, we have, we've got 30 minutes of airtime every week. Can you mm-hmm. just put together a radio show. And, uh, you know, we had, we had a little, we went through a little hand rigging and we're trying to figure out like, yeah. Well, how are you going to actually do this, right? This is it's, it's a pretty big commitment, and uh, if you you know if it's going to go on air, like, you want to you want a certain level of like a certain standard of quality, right? Um, but we, we kind of we talked about it. Uh, we had a meeting with uh, you know the media team, uh, and uh, we we're like, all right, we'll we'll, we'll give it a shot. Um, you know, we'll come up with. We spent a, a Friday night actually. It was actually pretty fun. We had a Friday night um, like brainstorming a format 
uh, you know, even a little music. Um, if you if you heard the like in, the intro jingle, we like <laughs> uh, we had a lot of fun recording that, uh, where we all kind of uh, say a little piece. Enriching your life, nourishing your heart, opening your mind. Welcome to um, yeah, and then uh, you know um, we just felt like it was a good way to reach more people. Uh, you know, they're driving. Maybe they'll hear something positive and just be benefit, uh, you know, like benefit or uh, be inspired by it. Um, mm-hmm. so we, did, we did that um, for about three months, and then uh, pandemic hit. People got kind of busy, so um, we haven't been making uh, episodes recently. But uh, but the feedback that I heard, I mean, I heard people who had listened to it um, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, so they already kind of identified with it. They they wanted, they liked it. They wanted more content. So mm-hmm. uh, I had been kind of tossing around this idea with uh, with, uh, with another friend, with uh, Diana. And, uh, you know, we kind of get asked to do, uh, like, hosting gigs all the time. Uh, or, or And we do this uh, weekly, uh, sorry, not weekly, um, this monthly uh, online study group. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's interactive, um, but there are some speakers and there's, like, breakout sessions. It's something that we've been doing during uh, the, the pandemic. Um, Basically, we, you know, we're kind of already doing this hosting thing uh, all the time, right? And we had a lot of experience. We're thinking like, hey, what if we just, uh, you know, started a podcast or a radio show? And, uh, and it would be kind of just like friends just getting on air and talking to each other, right? Inviting interesting people to come on and, and talk with us, right? So that's the basic idea. I mean, it's just an idea right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been thinking about learning about uh, actually what, what you've been doing, right? Putting these podcasts <laughs> together, <laughs> the skills and the, the thinking that goes into it. And, and uh, yeah, just putting something out there for, I think, people and in the community to, to get something out of. You know, like, as I mentioned, uh, you know, building the community for English speaking volunteers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely support you doing it. I, I, I think it's, I, it, it's needed. I, I think for you know, for, for the torch to be passed, to be able to, um, inspire people, it, like, it, there needs to be a, a fresh voice, and I think somebody like you really need, like, is, is put in that position to do it, and the resources, I mean, the, the whole media team behind you, uh, you know, and there's got to be some social media gurus out there that can, you know, get, I don't know, get some TC shit out on like TikTok or something. <laughs> <laughs> like a little 10 second TikTok. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't even know where to start with that. Right. Um, but there, there's a lot of smart and talented people in TC that, uh, you know, I, I feel like those those skills are, are kind of utilized in kind of the frame of what the existing leadership, you know, sees as, as um, you know, appropriate outreach. And, you know, the fact that it's, you know, it's just just hit the radio just now and like there wasn't even a discussion of an official podcast yet is um I, i'm just surprised that it hasn't you know reached out to, to to more platforms for you know communicating these things so i think you as you know as the the leader in doing that and you being inspired to do that is is an opportunity um and, and i think you and tc should really embrace it uh so Good luck, man. I, I think I think you know it, it's awesome. It really is. 
Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, we may be coming back to you to, to ask for some tips as well. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'd be happy to help anytime, man. Uh, thanks so much for being here today. Dude, this has been a great conversation. And I look forward to having you on in the future, man. Didn't won't have to be TC stuff. Could be uh, maybe some cooking tips. Um, <laughs> I, I remember you as a vegetarian, um, you know, the... Uh, you always came up with creative uh, ways to satisfy that that the carnivore uh, the carnivore needs. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, it's been a pleasure catching up. I'd love to come back anytime. Yeah, dude, for sure. Take care, man. Take care. Compassion, relief. I think these two words describe Master Cheng Yan. Master Cheng Yan believes good deeds are means of calling forth the seed of compassion in every human heart. It is a journey that every person has to undertake for themselves, just as she had done decades ago.